Welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land where I live, the Biripai people, and all other First Nations people within Australia. I aim to bring you collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. The gorgeous little song that you heard in the intro and the outro is called The Littlest Birds. It was performed by the Oluca family band from the Olive Gap Farm. It was originally performed by the Be Good Tanyas and generously sponsored by the Olive Gap Farm, which is a certified organic family farm specialising in small batch native essential oils and seasonal cut flowers. I highly recommend checking out their tea tree oil online. They are located on Bundjalung country in the northern rivers of New South Wales, Australia and draw on inspiration from various sustainable farming practices to create a high quality product that's equally nourishing to us and the earth. You can check out links to their website and social media in the show another pollination mama's podcast i've got a guest today that i've had on my list for a long time probably since the beginning of the podcast and for different reasons i just it just didn't happen i just hadn't sent the message or someone else had popped up but she's been on my list so i've got zelma tolly am i saying that right i usually check in tolly from the postnatal project and um, Zelma is an author, social worker, mother to two daughters like myself, founder of the Postnatal Project, which you may or may not have heard about, but you're going to learn about, and a multi-award winning, um, a multi-award winner for this online movement that Zelma has created. And Zelma has a gift with words, I believe, and I'm sure many others, and expressing the heart-expanding and soul-challenging moments of the fourth trimester birth parenting, postnatal depression, and more. So thanks for being here, Zelma. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm sure you've got lots going on, busy, busy with your project and all the wonderful work you do and being a mother. So, yeah, for people, I mean, for even people that do know you, it'd be great just to give a little intro. So you were a social worker and then become a mother as well and then the postnatal project sort of being born out of that so yeah just to give us a bit of an idea of how that 
was birthed and came to be? Was it slow? Was it an epiphany? Was it a bit of both? Ah, I love the word epiphany. Yes, it was. It was an epiphany. I had a baby in June of 2015 um, and really struggled with that. It was a massive transformation. Um, Didn't really feel like anyone was honouring that transformation within the medical system. It was, um, yeah, quite a challenging time and seeking that support and then being met with quite clinical kind of interventions when, in hindsight, probably needed the postnatal project, which is why I created it. Um, yeah, so I, I came, it came, the idea came to me when I was quite unwell with postnatal depression. Um, I just, it's in my empathetic nature to consider others because I know how deep that suffering can be. So I started a blog but quickly realised, especially with my social work training, that there was a big gap within the system that I was in and that's what I was really noticing. So the need for holistic services became very apparent. I just felt like we had GPs treating postnatal depression and psychologists giving sleep training advice and nurses coming into our home and telling us where our baby should sleep and no one that I knew was getting proper women's health physio most of the time. So I just didn't really feel like anyone was seeing the entire picture. Um, It was quite glorified to take your baby out. There was no rest. There was no kind of um, in-home support being valued. Um, Like most of my maternity appointments, it was sort of they'd ring me last minute and say, oh, sorry, we're flat out. Can you come to the hospital instead for your for your two-day check or whatever, and it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I just sort of felt a bit rushed and, um, yeah, the system just felt a bit broken and that made me feel like I was broken but without that insight. Um, so now I'm very strong about the idea that mothers and parents are not sick. They're actually being let down by a system and a whole society that's not valuing that transformation. And it's not... I don't want to say that as a dig at GPs or mental health professionals like myself as well, but we're just not offering what parents need to heal from birth and we aren't giving parents the space to grow into this new role, which is suffocating people at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess as a social worker, that would have been an interesting position to find yourself into, like feeling like, you sort of need to case manage yourself in a way, but that can be really challenging. I, I don't know about you, but I've found when I've needed to reach out for extra support, um, yeah, I felt that oh, I should be able to do this more easily because I've worked in areas where I've been able to do it easily and find that support for other people. Did you find some blocks there for yourself, having come from being a social worker then to needing that support on the other side? Yeah, I I also felt like there was this additional stigma, which I don't even know if this was perceived at the time because of how I was feeling about myself and my level of self-esteem at the time. But I was so, so against going to certain places for support because I'd have worked there or I'd done my social work placement there or I wanted to work there in future. I was sort of like, this feels really uncomfortable to be like sort of getting in contact with peers for really vulnerable support. And a lot of the support that I saw at the time, none of them had children. And I, I, I don't believe that's everything. 
but it was definitely something that I think was that gap between like a real um, gentle understanding and a real clinical approach. It was really like, oh, this woman is displaying like symptoms and she's sick and she needs this. Whereas really, honestly, I probably didn't even need all of what I was given. Like I didn't need all of that. I actually just needed someone to listen and actually just say, wow, I really hear you. Um, and I think that's so undervalued and that's why I just really love like the idea of a, a doula in particular just to, you know, really nut out those those proper debriefs around birth and, and all that um, education around how to look after yourself and what's actually kind of um, possible and, oh, what's the word, like just, just meeting people where they're at as opposed to where they think they should be because everyone's so different with their recovery from birth and, and their experience of becoming a parent is so personal and so... So, yeah, so different. So I don't know if that answers your question. Sorry, I'm so, I often go on these tangents because I just love this so much. <laughs> I love the tangents. It totally does. No, yeah, all about the tangents. Yeah, I found that as well. Like sometimes you don't want to be chatting to colleagues about this deep, dark, personal stuff. You also realise how quickly people can be put into boxes. And you, like you said, you just want to be able to be in a really deep, sometimes dark moment without being labelled as being in that consistently, but allow those waves to come and be able to reach out for support and express that fully without people freaking out necessarily putting a label on it. And sometimes a diagnosis and then that type of treatment is really valuable and needed and so helpful. But other times, yeah, it might, you might be able to move through that so much faster if it's just heard and held. I can totally understand that. Yeah. And that's the value of, um, holistic birth workers and doulas, I guess, is to be there and go, well, that's, this is okay. This is huge. This is normal. You're going to have these feelings. How can we um, help you sit with them? How can I sit with you and just hear that and then find ways for you to move through this well? What's your way of going through this transition? Yeah, that's right. I, I definitely feel like in a clinical setting, we're rushing people and parents in particular through this transformation rather than like I said before just meeting people where they're at not everyone's going to rush through and move through and want to go out for coffee with their baby as soon as possible some people just need to grieve if their birth wasn't quite exactly what they envisaged or um, their loss of identity or their changes in relationships like I just think that's really important and it's not to promote like it's not to kind of glorify um like mental illness either or like I don't yeah like I just I just really feel like honoring that process is really important and yeah I think I think sometimes um yeah like we've got 15 minute appointments where we've got to try and tell our GP everything that's going on for us and of course if there's a minor red flag that's going to be um where intervention just gets doubled really quickly whereas sometimes you just need time and space yeah yeah, that's right. Or an hour or a couple of hours sitting with a cuppa and being heard might <laughs> help that shift yeah. so much more. And often it happens around six weeks as well. And there's a lot of focus on the baby. So you don't feel like there's this thought of, uh, I hear a lot and I know I felt of not wanting to take up that 15 minutes 
we're talking about your own emotions, like that's selfish when actually that's like the real yeah. crux. You've just been through this huge six weeks. You need definitely need to be talking and heard throughout that time. And then you get to that point and you're like, oh, I've made it through the last six weeks. Yep, okay, we've got 15 minutes. Let's get this done. Am I okay? Yep, baby's okay. Yeah. Let's go. Oh, yeah, and that's that clinical setting. And then they asked about contraception. Sorry, yeah. I took them. Oh, I know. And then they asked about contraception. What? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, I've had... um. Medical professionals come to me a couple of days still in hospital with my bub and talk about contraception. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's funny. <laughs> Needs to be done, but, yeah. So you have, um, and you've created the Postnatal Project. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so um, I did say earlier it started as a blog and I was actually anonymous on that blog for some of the similar reasons that I mentioned. I, I live in a small community and again, I think it was a perceived stigma, but I was very, um, yeah, I wanted to really put myself out there, but wasn't quite ready to put my face to it. Um, and yeah, so eventually it actually just so happened that people just figured out who I was and I don't really know how, they just did. And so I just thought, oh, you know, I, I have to own this now. And I didn't feel overly ready, but as soon as I did, it felt like I'd really just stepped into myself and really, it was so empowering, honestly. I even, I actually had my grandma ring me and she said like, oh, she's a social worker too. Um, and she said, oh, you must be feeling really vulnerable right now. Like, how are you feeling? And I was like, oh, I, I, was, I wasn't actually. And it was this really interesting conversation that we had around like, should I feel vulnerable? And then I was thinking about, how much strength there is in vulnerability and how much strength there is in being authentic. And I've just gone with that. So that's where my blog's gone. I've written about all sorts of things um, in great detail on the blog, but also um, my Instagram and Facebook is quite popular in that same way. Um, just sharing tidbits about parenting, but also just about, um, you know, how I can integrate my clinical skills into sharing my story in a way that's, um, like quite useful for other people. Um, started writing like some poetry as well because I find writing really useful to express. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've really enjoyed that and that's been really well received. But yeah, so I've got three ebooks now. Um, so they're downloaded all around the world, which is really cool. Um, I've also got an online program that runs every couple of months, which is all about again, what I was talking about before, about meeting people where they are and kind of assessing that as well and then building a toolkit around that, around honouring your emotions and learning how to use gratitude and things like affirmations to kind of, like, empower you to feel things rather than empowering you to kind of, like, push that away and engage in some toxic positivity and that kind of thing. Um, because I just really want people to connect with that process of honouring their emotions and honouring yeah, where they're at in their journey and just knowing that it's actually really normal. Whatever you're going through is actually normal for you. And so then, yeah, if you've got tools to cope with where you're at, then it just sort of makes all the difference. And that's not to replace, um, like, treatment for postnatal depression or anything like that, but it can kind of accompany that just to tide you over between your psychologist appointments or your GP appointments or, um, but it's not just for people who are um, suffering quite deeply. It's also for people who are just wanting to um, kind of thrive instead of just surface level survival. So 
yeah, um, that's also accessed around the world as well, um, which is also really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. That's for, it's for anyone. And I think anyone who has been through a postpartum period can relate to having moments, days, times where they question, am I depressed? Am I anxious? I think there would be, rarely be a mum today that hasn't experienced those moments and questioned that. And then I guess it's just about being able to reach out and keep an eye on that for the time when you might need extra support. What is that extra support? Is it just um, getting some in-home support or is it going out to a counsellor or, a, um, you know, someone to talk about your birth story or joining an online support group that can go, yep, okay, we're all in this together. We're all feeling this. What are we doing about it? personally and together collectively and that acknowledgement like you said before that it's normal it's normal to feel this way within our culture at the moment with the current type of care and the lack of acknowledgement of how huge it is so just to have someone go yes this is huge yes no wonder you feel like you're floundering because <laughs> once upon a time like just explaining to people that what the traditional wisdom and the way different cultures have um, approached postpartum care, being that light bulb. I know when I had that light bulb go off and it was a slow light bulb, <laughs> it was a slow kind of on and off, but um, it, I sort of, I was introduced to it when I lived in time pre children and then reminded and reminded. But when I've spoken to people, I love that like, Oh, right. And then you see them looking at, what their experience or what they have and just that relief. It's almost like you can just see the shoulders kind of relax. It's not me. <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a bit more about the online program. Are people coming um, when they're pregnant in the early postpartum or is it later when they go, Oh, far out. I've gotten through that hazy first few weeks or months and I really need to reach out or a bit of everything in between. I would say the majority of those who sign up actually have toddlers. I think a lot of a lot of um, the parents. I think it's actually all women. I don't think I've ever had a had a father join. Um, but but yeah, I think they kind of get to a point where they're like, "Hang on, the the weeks are turning into months and turning into years, just like everyone said that they would." And I'm still in this position where I'm feeling really kind of overwhelmed by the burden of parenthood and I'm feeling like this is slipping away and I need to connect back in to me because I'm losing myself. That's what, that's, that is what a lot of people do say to me. And that is why I have created it as a real, um, I actually have had quite a few people sign up thinking it's a sleep training course or something like that. And then getting really confused. And I'm like, no, what we need to do is actually work on ourselves and care for ourselves and put that work in. And I say work because it is hard work to look after yourself within this, like you say, this system that isn't really set up to support us at all. Um, so, yeah, that it, it's basically, yeah, going back to basics, it talks about self-care, but I don't love talking about self-care on a surface level kind of scenario because I think people get a bit caught up, well, oh, I had a bubble bath and I don't feel better. It's sort of like more around um, like reparenting and, looking at, um, yeah, like what you need, what do you need? Let's, let's try and meet those needs if no one else is going to. 
And that sucks in a way because I feel like parents do deserve more from society and from the systems that we, we're in. But, but, yeah, everyone – I've had a few people say it saved their life, which is, like, yeah, amazing and might make me cry. <laughs> but I just, I just find that really beautiful, just having that space to reflect. There's a lot of journal, um, like, worksheets to go through. Um, just as It's really self-paced. So um, some people take a full year to do it just because there are so many things to reflect on and consider. But, and that's totally fine, again, meet people where they're at. But, um, yeah, I just – I'm really proud to offer it. I just think it's nice to have something that is available to, you know, for people to, yeah, come and come and get some tools for their toolkit. Like I talk about in the program as well. So, yeah. Oh, Zelma, I'm, I was getting tears then too. It's so beautiful to hear because I've been um, following you mostly on Instagram. Sometimes I have to check in. So I'm like, oh, I haven't seen anything from the postnatal project. I'll go back and look at something to get the algorithm back up. But, um, yeah, just to hear your voice and the way that you express it, it really comes across through what you share online as well. And you should be really proud that I can totally understand people saying that, you know, it saved them and, and they might mean literally like it saved them and their life, but they might mean from a soul level too, like it really got their soul out of a dark place that they felt like that it just couldn't see a way out of their, yeah, their being and their happiness. I'm sorry, I've got some annoying update happening. Um, and that I doesn't surprise me when you say that most people coming there with toddlers because it feels like, well, it's always multifaceted, but it feels like you're in a bit of a haze for the first year or so. And then like after the in the second year and then the third year you start like the, this sort of more clarity but you're still tired and run down and overwhelmed possibly but you're like okay I'm ready to kind of reach out a bit more and go out into the world it's like this slow it's such an internal um introspective transition and life phase and then as you become a little bit more out into the world looking for answers and looking for connection out there so that totally doesn't surprise me that women are making that that move and that step for themselves with toddlers because they're really like okay I'm ready for it I can it's a little bit less hazy there's a little bit more clarity and I know I need something and I know I need to kind of make those steps out into the world to find it and that's beautiful yeah and self-care it's it's interesting that like we need to talk about it and we've got to work with what we've got, but yeah, not let just be surface level. It is hard work and it's about is it part of self care? It's great to get massages or go get you know your hair done or whatever it is, eyebrows done and but is it those moments where you go, Oh, I actually just haven't for me, you know, I'm just using what works for me, but it could be something different for someone. I just haven't even stepped out into the grass and the sunshine. And it's like one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Holy, how did that happen? <laughs> or did I actually sit down and just have my cuppa? No, I didn't. I ran around like a chook with my head cut off. Sort yeah. of thing. Those moments and making them daily practices. And I think that's why programs yeah. like yours are so important because they hold you accountable and they help you develop those routines or rituals, whatever you want to call it, to integrate that self-care into daily life, those little moments that keep you centred and grounded. And then, yeah, you're going to lose it and kind of go off into the chaos and being able to come back to your centre and groundedness throughout to keep in touch with that. Super powerful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
yeah, it's so important. So, um, and then, yeah, I guess the long-term vision is around changing the culture as well. But then that internal work, so you talk about um, gentle parenting as well. And I feel like, you know, a lot of us read about it and it just makes so much sense and it rings true. But then when we're in the reality <laughs> and the tightness, it's really hard. We're like, how do I make this a reality? How do I do this gentle parenting thing or this gentle mothering and this attachment parenting? Do you, do you get women saying that? Like, I want to do this, but it's so hard. <laughs> how do I stay connected with it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I have, like, there's a definite kind of um, spectrum of that. Some parents, you know, feel a lot of guilt around, like, if they raise their voice or they lose their temper or they um, just say, go the F to sleep, when they, and then they're sort of like, where did that come from? But we really need to understand that those kind of responses are a reasonable kind of response based on the circumstances. Like we beat ourselves up so much and, and the intention to parent in a certain way is beautiful, but we can't expect perfection in any, in any sort of, yeah, in any circumstance. But in, in this kind of circumstance where we're parenting in isolation most of the time with minimal support, it's just unrealistic. Um, I actually love, there's, a, there's an article by Sarah Offwell-Smith and she talks about 70-30 parenting which, you know, as a social worker you might know too about like good enough parenting and that whole concept of, um, yeah, just attempting to meet those needs empathetically and responsively most of the time is enough. But I think parents who, and I, I myself, I like this, I'm always reflecting on the way that I parent my children, but I think there's a lot of pressure, yeah, like how do I do this when I'm sleep deprived or how do I do this when I'm, alone all day and my toddler's been screaming for three months straight and you know that can be really really challenging so yeah I definitely I definitely hear those stories and I experienced that for myself too and um oh, I was thinking so many different things then <laughs> I guess also like we have a really strong concept the reason we experience so much guilt and beat ourselves because we understand how important it is we want to give our children these great great foundation because then that ripples out into who they become and the community and I love that 70 30 I have seen that a good enough parent to just trust that if you can try and strike that balance towards most of the time and forgive yourself and Hold yourself accountable. Sorry, there's a garbage truck going past. It's pretty quiet where I live, but there might be some loud noises for a minute. Um, yeah, then we can just teach our children as well that we can also own our crap and that's going to have to be part of working with what we've got while hopefully we're reculturing. So I'd love to hear a bit about your future vision for ideas. So you've actually done a bit of speaking since starting the postnatal project, haven't you, I, I believe? Yeah, I, I was invited by the ABC to um, travel to Canberra in February last year and I presented at Parliament House there in front of um, ministers and, and representatives for different agencies. And, and, yeah, that was really well received as well. Um, I've also done quite a few talks at, like, um, postpartum yoga classes and that kind of thing more, more locally. Um, and yeah, I just think, um, some people are quite oblivious to 
this kind of culture that we're in, a lot of people think that it works um, without realising that, that parents are drowning and it actually doesn't work. So that was interesting, yeah, to have questions from the crowd that were actually kind of, you know, like afterwards there was like a discussion point and everyone could put um, like a stick it, a post-it note on, on my photo to, you know, provide feedback. And a lot of it was like, but what about the men? Or um, it, was, it was something along the lines of, yeah, like just kind of missing the point a bit. Um, and not not value, valuing that, again, that transformation. Like, yeah, we're glorifying bouncing back, basically, and it's just not where we're at or where we should be, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. I wondered how um, how that would be received on a more kind of broader platform. It's great that they invited you. And do you see that, is that something you'd like to do more to kind of get the word out there? Or did you feel like, no, I need to be working on a more foundational level after you got those sorts of, that sort of feedback back? What do you see as a way that um, we can start the reculturing? Or does it need to happen on both levels? We need people out there talking in the public forum as well as doing this um, on the ground individual work. I, I do like speaking. I'm such an introvert and I get so anxious, but I do it because I think it's really important. And I'm actually quite good at it when I'm up there doing it. Um, but I actually do think it's around talking peer to peer, not without the support of, you know, someone like myself or, or, you know, someone with a similar vision. I just think sharing those really authentic stories and kind of, those experiences so that people don't feel alone is the starting point. And then the next step to that is kind of questioning the things that they're told about mental health and that real, you know, we pathologise the fourth trimester. Um, like you said before, any inkling of kind of like a really dark moment is really jumped on without kind of honouring that as quite a normal response to having just given birth and um, having a massive shift in your routine and in sleep and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I do think on the ground is important. I think the more we empower parents to really own their experience and, and trust themselves, the more that it will start to shift quite organically, I think, without a real aggressive campaign in a real um, – like I think preach to the converted. I think, like, you know, preach to the choir and – and from there, you build a really solid kind of foundation for new parents to come into that. And then, yeah, I just, that, that's what I believe. I don't, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but that is what I'm trying to do and I think is really important. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Julia. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this podcast, you'll probably really enjoy newborn mothers too. We provide online courses for professionals and mothers worldwide who believe birth is about making mums too. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of the show. Because when I've heard this a few times that in change psychology, so um, I've also done in the past a bit of environmental education, so most recently around waste avoidance and all of the evidence in around change psychology is preach to the converted work with people that 
already open to the idea and already understand the concept of why it's so important and take that a bit further because then it ripples out. And I love that idea. I think it's true. It will just sort of naturally ripple out. And yeah, we do need to be having those big conversations out in, you know, mainstream media, but we just need that everyday chipping away, believing, acknowledging, and then those conversations. So someone standing their truth and going, no, I need to really do this in my fourth trimester. And, and then having that conversation with their friend, it's okay, and honouring that, and that will ripple out to a culture. Have you seen in the last few years that you've been doing this, have you seen a huge growth and explosion in interest in postpartum care? I feel like there's been a pretty huge kind of growth I know from doing studies in um, like being a postpartum doula and then innate postpartum care, it feels like more and more people are drawn to this work and parents are drawn to following this type of work as well. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think that's why it's growing. Um, people are learning to trust themselves. But I, I, something that just came to me then was when I first started the postnatal project, it was very about like stats and um, this is how many people experience postnatal depression and it's this big issue and these are the symptoms and this is what to look out for. And then I really started to kind of deviate from that and be like, hang on, like we are promoting a sickness and an illness more so than we're promoting the intervention. So what is that? And I really sort of took a step back from that um, and sort of, yeah, again, working from where we are, what do we need? What do we need right now? And that's where I sort of branched off into talking about, you know, just, yeah, owning your story, trusting your instincts and that sort of thing and just um, really honouring your emotional response to things, not telling yourself, like you said before, like, oh, am I depressed? Like, oh, actually, no, this is a reasonable response to the circumstances that I'm in and this is really, this is a big deal and I'm doing it and how amazing am I type sort of situation. Um, and, yeah, I think there has been a big explosion. I think people are really realising that as well. Like, this is not sustainable the way that we're expecting. Like, no wonder the stats are going up. Why are we so focused on the stats? Why aren't we looking at why? And I think a lot of people are. And you've got to, you do have to meet people where they are. If they're, if they're really struggling with postnatal depression, of course you need to treat that. Of course. It's very serious. But I just feel like those of us who are well now need to, yeah, come back to the the before. What do we need to do to set that foundation so that doesn't happen? But the thing that I really struggle with is that the people who are doing this are the ones that are knee-deep in it still as well. Like I know for myself, I've got two small children. I struggle every day to get this out there, you know. Um, I, work, I work two days a week as a social worker as well. Um, and so, yeah, I've just dropped my kids off to talk to you, which is fine. But it's just, you know, like it's, it, it's, it has to come from us. But at the same time, I feel like we're already so burdened and then we're taking on this additional burden to, to fix it. And it's just I do have like a slight ambivalence around, around that. Like it doesn't feel overly fair sometimes. It feels like, yeah. But the more we talk about it, the more support we'll get for our movements, which is really important too. We have to start somewhere that, yeah. We do have to applaud applaud families for, for putting themselves out there in this way, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, we need to do both. We're doing that kind of individual work. And, yeah, it's always <laughs> it's like that old saying, you know, the busiest people will always find the time. And, yeah, same, I rushed 
That's why I actually slept in a little bit because I was up through the night with my toddler. <laughs> so I totally relate. And then I'm homeschooling now, my eldest, and then I've got a toddler. And I'm so fortunate that my partner's mum came to pick them up, took them off. I was like, oh, okay, cup of tea. <laughs> and finding, but you know, the passion drives it. But yeah, sometimes you think, oh, where are the, um, the aunties and the grandparents? And, I, you know, I'm very thankful for the support I have, but where are those people speaking out about this too? that's what we need it's sort of like this call to action that we are highlighting it we're in it going this is what it is hey let's have a conversation about this what's your thoughts on on how we can change this culture and recently on the mums matter australia symposium they had a bunch of speakers and one of them i'm halfway through part of the way through was about aunties as social mothers so I believe that all cultures up until quite recently had this idea of, and uncles, but let's talk about aunties, that didn't you called someone who was in the age group, the generational group, that would be auntie, auntie, whether they were your biological auntie or not. And that was because they filled that role as social aunties and social mothers. And by calling them that, that sort of brought them in and it was this feedback and... Um, I've spoken about this on other podcasts. I know it's like that in many cultures. So, you know, all through Asia and all around the world. And even if you have European heritage, it was like that. We've lost that. And I really like the, that idea of bringing that back in, but sort of starting from the place where we use language, where we're calling people, hey, auntie so-and-so. And then that invites them into that role. And hopefully in time, rather than waiting for people to step into that role and then calling them auntie and then stepping into that role. Like I know for myself, as my children get older, wanting to step into that role for others more into that auntie role. And yeah, I think that could be one really beautiful way is that we start calling people auntie and uncle and, and inviting them in. Another conversation I've had recently is about the role of arts in shifting the culture and the role of arts, how the arts could really play a role in this, in our idea around reculturing the importance of the fourth trimester for families. And, you know, yeah, it is, the woman's really going through it on a deep level, but it ripples out to the partner, whether that's husband, partner, and then the children then into the community. So it's all encompassing. But your writing, in a huge sense, is a part of that, that sort of engaging a creative expression of the arts to talk about that and you can see from your uh, social media how strongly that speaks to people and have you did that sort of just accidentally happen you were just writing because you enjoyed it and then putting it out there and realizing it spoke to people yeah yeah definitely when when I started writing again so my first ebook's been out for a few years now and I actually do look at that sometimes and notice a real difference to my writing now. My writing now is quite creative and, um, you know, it's a bit more of an expression of, of experience because I'm not, I'm not afraid of that anymore. Um, whereas my first initial experience with writing was around evidence and making sure I cited a reference and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that has been really cool. The other thing that I did just recently, and it was a shame it couldn't go ahead because of COVID, but we have a festival locally called Salt Festival in Port Lincoln, and we organised a group of, um, it was actually all mothers in the end, um, to all come together with their art 
to to talk about their experience with the fourth trimester and with you know their experience of parenting so we had you know we had a weaver she created this amazing piece of art called mother and it was you know that was her her expression and then we had photographers and we had someone who was going to run like a fourth trimester um, photo shoot with women in their bikinis at the beach and you know, like scars and stretch marks and pubic hair and all, you know, like it, it come with, like come as you are and, and share that beauty. Um, yeah, we also had someone who, who sews and makes beautiful dresses and that was her, she made these um, kind of like kimono style dresses that were breastfeeding friendly and for her that was because she didn't want to use a cover really. She really wanted to normalise breastfeeding in public but wanted to, again, meet people where they are. I feel like I've said that so many times but just, you know, this is something that's easy to feed in and it looks great and um, so comfortable. So, yeah, we, we that's where we were at. So it's so interesting that you bring that up but that actually, again, that didn't go ahead because of COVID unfortunately but um, I think that is important because it gives, it gives parents that sense of identity like, you know, who am I outside of motherhood and how can I bring that in? And sometimes art is, is that, for sure. Yeah, it sort of, art does a lot of things. It kind of stimulates the mind and the heart and the soul and it encompasses culture in a way. And it represents, it kind of reflects, it's, it always has. It's always been a symbol of change and revolution or a symbol of what is, a way to express what is. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds amazing. I hope that um, it comes about again soon. I hope you guys can find some space and time to make it happen. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, we'll I love that there. idea. It's really got my brain ticking around um, doing something similar here and how beautiful if lots of people did something similar in their own local communities. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of your writing and expression, I would love for you to read something if you feel. Um, yeah, to share with people your beautiful words. It's always nice to hear it spoken. <laughs> okay, I'll read something here. It's from my first ebook, and that ebook's um quite a collection of um, bite-sized sort of experiences that I've sort of woven into some information around um, postnatal depression and sleep and that sort of thing. But this is about the gap between postnatal depression and just finding parenthood really, really difficult. Um, okay. So parenting is one of the hardest things we do, but parenthood and motherhood especially is often glamorised. This is where the where do you come, what do you do all day debate comes about. Playing, sharing lunch and running errands in the sunshine, coffee in hand in your active wear with your children are brilliant things when all is well. When things are tough, these same activities can feel like a nightmare. Screaming children, a forever long to-do list and a pounding headache. Finding motherhood tough doesn't make you a bad mum, nor does it mean that you are unwell. However, I think there was a definite lack of insight into the rea reality of motherhood and how normalising some of this can shift a lot of the heaviness. Taking heart in the fact that you aren't alone is an amazing way to move forward towards peace in your days as a mum. Remembering that millions of other men and women are alongside you, loving and parenting their children through the same struggles about what to have on toast and the futile debate about whether or not they want to wear shoes. Sometimes there's a gap between postnatal depression and simply struggling to find what's normal that we can fall through, denying the struggles and not allowing them to simply be the reality of motherhood and instead feeling alone and isolated, 
filled with self-blame and pessimistic thoughts. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, totally feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not wanting to wear the shoes. It's so true. Like on a good day, doing those things can be so soul enriching and on a bad day, it can just be so draining. And it's hard explaining that to someone that you like did exactly the same thing. You went out and did the same, but it was really hard. And then another day and you just don't know sometimes either until you're out and in it. And you're like, think, okay, feeling strong. Let's go out and do this thing. And then you get out and you're like, oh, that was really hard. Yeah. And especially when you're trying so hard to bring that self-care into your day and then what you thought was going to help didn't. And that, yeah, you've summed up the, the reality, the realness. Well, Zelma, I just love everything that you're about and just hearing you and, like, you know, when you're speaking to someone, you really feel someone's energy. I just think you've got such a beautiful, authentic presence and um expression of this and i think it's so important but um yeah you're doing it and i love i didn't know that the story about your blog being anonymous in the beginning and then sort of coming out i love that it's really beautiful <laughs> people sort of got onto you <laughs> caught yeah. onto you. but then how affirming that must have been for you and also seeing how many people were interested, how many people were like, oh, yes, yes, thank you for sharing this. Thank you for speaking your voice, your experience, which I can relate to or other people can relate to. It's so powerful. Um, Absolutely. I would also love for you to share a little bit about your logo, which is quite interesting. We chatted about this pre-podcast that, I'd recognised the symbol from, I think it was a friend years ago. She's a tattoo artist and she has like the lotus flower with a diamond in the middle. So I'd asked her and she told me it was from a Buddhist kind of concept. And you said, yeah, you get asked that all the time. But, um, yeah, tell us about it. It's beautiful. So, yeah, I, I um, had Rachel at Hopscotch um, Branding Studio it up for me and I, I I commend her because I gave her such a vague yet very specific idea and she actually kind of brought that all together but so rose quartz for me I, I do love crystals I'm very um of the opinion that it's the intention and the the kind of the very personal connection um to to crystals that I really like um so yeah rose quartz for me was was something that I picked because it was a very healing um kind of kind of piece um and my husband gave me this beautiful I came home when we were getting married so we got married after children so this is why this is more special I came home and there was this massive piece of rose quartz on the dining table with all this food for us to all eat yeah it was so it was so lovely um and I also chose king proteas for my wedding bouquet as well so that is actually the logo is a king protea with with um a big chunk of rose quartz in the middle um and that's how she put that together like that i didn't say that that's how i wanted it composed but um yeah i do get that all the time but yeah so for me it was around strength and unconditional love and healing and yeah just and for us getting married um it wasn't just about getting married but for us getting married it was around um really bringing our family to the forefront of our lives and really valuing our union together and our children within that so 
so yeah that yeah it was really really beautiful to to use that picture of that crystal in it so yeah oh, i love that i love that it's a king proteus it's that australian element but yeah yeah that symbolism mm-hmm. oh it's beautiful thank you for sharing gorgeous no, gonna no. it's gonna mean even more when i see it now because i think the buddhist one's a lotus um yeah and it's about you know the lotus coming from the dark and then up into the light and that coming through but i love the idea of the protea too because it's such a beautiful um just stunning flower but it's also quite hardy mm-hmm. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah the love well thanks so much for your time i've really just enjoyed this chat and i'm excited to share your words and work with people is there anything in particular oh if you could share with people your uh, um, where to find you, your social media handles and your website. Sure. So I, I have a website, the blog's up there and my eBooks and online programs available through there. And that's www.thepostnatalproject.com. And you've got three. And then I'm also. Sorry. You've got three. What's books. That? You've got three books, don't you? Yeah. Three. Yeah. And you can actually grab them as a bundle for a bit cheaper too. So that's cool. Um, and then I'm also very active on social media, so I try to post daily on Instagram and that filters through to Facebook. So that's just the postnatal project on both if you want to just search. Um, yeah, so lots of free parenting kind of, I don't want to say support because Instagram's not therapy, but, um, you know, some some information there that people can take and run with if they need to. So Yeah, resources yeah. and connection. There. Yeah, that's right, absolutely, yeah. And I'll put all these links up in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Zelma. Thank you heaps for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that. As always, we'd love for you to contact us and share any ideas you have for future podcasts and to share that with friends and family or anyone who might get something from the podcast. Leaving a review on iTunes is really helpful as well because it helps us uh, be seen and share what we're passionate about more. Thank you.